0: Y'all turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, I like your boots. Um, Can we get the house lights up a little bit? It'd be awesome if I can see these people, these handsome devils, beautiful ladies. Did y'all have a good weekend? I did too, man. I I loved having y'all here. It's been awesome. It was so, it's so, I know I talked about this last night, it's so nice out. Like a lot of times it rains here. It's like a rainforest here, like it's legitimately like a rainforest. If you look at how much rain we get in a year in the in the Southern Appalachians, which by the way are pronounced Appalachian. Don't ever say Appalachia. Um, I don't know who came up with that, but that's not the way you say it if you're from here. So anyway, um, but it's it's uh, it's just a, like a really cool gift from the Lord that we've got uh, we've got beautiful days and. Man, we got to, y'all got to ride rides and swing on swings. Some of you probably didn't. Some of you are probably scared of heights. Uh, you're like, man, I'm not getting on that thing. That's crazy. <laughs> That's stupid. How um, about the archery tag game? Did any of y'all play that? I, I love that. Was it fun? It's like addictive, man. I don't know. It's just a fun It's a fun game to play. And uh, But we had an awesome weekend, and hopefully the thing that you're going to take away from the weekend and remember the most is what God has taught you from his word. And our staff... Uh, they're some of the greatest uh, followers of Christ I've ever known. Our staff here, I love them. They're so committed to you. They're here for uh, two reasons. One, to honor the Lord uh, and and he's called them here. And two, to serve you and help you and and encourage you. They want to help you walk with the Lord and they want you to learn from there. They've made mistakes and they've done things wrong and they're only a few years ahead of you in life. And they're able to say, hey, look, I want to help you understand how to be a better Christian and and they want to help you walk through that. So a lot of people here speaking into your lives uh, and then you've got leaders that that brought you not just your pastors and student pastors but but leaders and helpers and folks that have come along so there's been a lot that's gone into this weekend and my challenge to you would be to take everything you've learned and everything that people have invested in you and see it as a gift from the Lord and then honor the Lord with that gift by responding to it and leave here to say how can I go how can I go follow Christ m- better more effectively, in a more faithful way. So we're going to look at uh, this passage that we're going to read this morning is called, uh, people talk about, people call it like the, the love passage or the the passage on charity or something like that, I think uh, I've heard people call it. But it's just, it's a biblical picture of what love is supposed to be. So I thought on a weekend where we're talking about uh, marriage and sexuality and purity and uh, and understanding God's plan and all these things, one of the most important things we could probably do is look at what the Bible says, what God says to us, love is supposed to look like. And so that's what we're going to do. I have a cousin who is in the Secret Service. Do you all know what Secret Service is? They, they're most known for guarding the president, right? They, they, you know, they, they wear the little ear things and they guard the president. But they do a lot of other things. One of the things they do is they, uh, they investigate um, like counterfeit money. People make counterfeit money. That's a big. That's a big thing in our country, and so I was talking to my cousin one time. He'd been on. He'd been on several really cool, like movie type stories. You know, like where there, he's dressing like an Italian mobster from New York. You know, and this is my hillbilly cousin from North Carolina, but he's in the Secret Service, so he's he's wearing, You know, he's decked out. He's. I've seen pictures of him. You know, he's in a really nice suit. And they would go into these like back alley uh, behind these pubs and bars and places that the mafia was using for. Like, uh, you know, fronts for uh, money laundering. And one of the things they would do is they'd go bust these, uh, they'd go in and bust these counterfeit money deals, um, which is just crazy. Isn't it? Can you imagine doing that for a living? That'd be awesome. And, uh, and so I asked, but I asked him one time, I was like, how many, is there, is there like one or two kinds of counterfeit money? Is there, you know, how's that work? He said, no, I mean, there are thousands of ways people counterfeit money. And so I asked him, and even as I asked him, I knew what the answer was going to be. It kind of dawned on me, and I said, How do you learn what all the counterfeit money is? And he said, I don't, we, You don't. You just learn what real money looks like down to every little square of the of the bill. You know, dollar bill, $100 bill, $20 bill, whatever. And so I thought, That's, that's the way we should treat love and relationship. If we understand the real picture of what God has designed it to be, then we don't have. Then we will recognize any other counterfeit. Does that does that make sense? That example, because if I like, if I hold up a hundred dollar bill, and I mean, I, I'll pull one out. I carry a bunch of them things around. I'm just kidding. I don't. Uh, but if I held up a hundred dollar bill and I was like. What's this? And everybody's like, a $100 bill. And, 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 and we're all like, man, that's awesome. I would love to have a bunch of those. That would be fun. And I would buy guns is what I, was, I would buy. That's my, like my vice. And so I would go buy guns and bullets, and I would shoot them, and then I'd be broke. And so um, it's probably good that God doesn't give me a bunch of $100 bills. If I held up a $100 bill and I said, hey, who wants this $100 bill? And you're like, I want it, I want it, I want it. And I'm like, have fun. And I give you that $100 bill. You take that, and you find out it's a counterfeit. It's very disappointing. In fact, I once was paid with five $100 bills that were counterfeit. Now, I didn't know it. The guy paid me for I, I sold something on Craigslist, and the guy came. Uh, uh, actually, my sister met the guy. He was in her hometown a couple hours, about an hour from here. And uh, the guy met her, gave her five counterfeit $100 bills. It was really disappointing when I found out, I can't spend these because you can't. Like, once they're in your possession, you're just out of luck. And I watch young people. Come through, uh, like, through camps and retreats here all the time. And I see, because we do marriage retreats, we do men's and women's conferences here. And I see, like, people in our society, what they're doing is they're grabbing a hold of counterfeit relationships. Like, it's not real love, or it's not real. It's not even, like, a lot of people are experiencing sex outside of God's context. So it's not even truly what God has designed for sexuality, and so there's no fulfillment in it. It's kind of like getting that, I was excited, I got $500, you know, I sold the thing, you know, and it's like, all right, I mean, then to find out, man, this is not the real deal, and so you're left with sort of this emptiness, and so a lot of people go through life dealing with the void that's been left from, from poor decision-making, and so what we want you to see this morning is the real thing, you know, like the real, what does the Bible say love really looks like and everything that goes along with it, and some of you, like you might think, man, I'm not, I'm not ready for that, um, okay, well, you're not. That's good. That's a good acknowledgement that you're not ready for that kind of relationship. Great. So know what it is and begin to pray and seek the Lord and ask him to prepare you for that. So that if you're 14 now, that when you're 20 or, or whatever age that God leads you into a relationship, leads to marriage, um, then, then he will have prepared you from now until then. And a lot of people will will sort of dumb this thing down and they'll say, They'll go the other direction. They'll say, well, I'm 14, so why do I need to think about marriage right now? Why, do I need to, why, why does that need to be a big deal? Or I'm 16, why should I be focused on marriage? I'm a, I'm a junior in high school. I'm a sophomore in high school. Why should that matter? I'm, I'm in the seventh grade. I just like having a girlfriend. I just like having a boyfriend. Why, should I, why are we talking about marriage? Because marriage is like, that's the deal. That's God's, that's God's picture. Like God made marriage and said, this is what relationship is supposed to look like. So one of the most important things you can do at a young age is understand the biblical meaning of marriage and sex and sexuality and relationship and all of that. And if you don't have an example of that at home, then it can be really confusing. And so it's important to understand what the Bible says. Does that make sense? Understanding what the scripture teaches about marriage and sexuality, these things will guide you through your teenage years. And so we want to get it right. So 1 Corinthians 13, it begins like this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You ever, we got any band kids? Band kids, good, a lot of band kids. I love the band. I was not in the band. I love and appreciate the band. Okay, you can put your hands down. I love and appreciate the band, and I love band kids especially because they have this unique talent and this gift to work in harmony and in, in unison, or like in, uh, what is it, when a bunch of people are working together, like in cooperation, right? And, and what if you've got a, a marching band that's really good? Our local high school here, we have a really good march. They're good. They sound great. They're really good. And if that band is marching, and you know that dude that's got that symbol thing, like the big gorilla at Chuck E. Cheese? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Do y'all know the gorilla at Chuck E. Cheese? It's just all he does is this. I remember I used to think I could be in the band if I did the, the, the clang, the clang. so I could do that, man. And then I thought, oh, no, I could never do that because I would just be so amped. And I would be like waiting for my turn to go you know, like that. And I know I'd do it too soon. I know I would. And then I'd be like, oh, I'm, I did it too soon. I'll do it again. And then the next thing you know, I'm hitting that thing three or four times before I'm even supposed to. That's what would happen to me think how obnoxious that would sound in in the marching band. People would be like, "Oh, they're so good." This, I remember the uh I think it was uh my brother played football at Western Carolina University, which is just right down the road here, and I remember their band is called I think it's called the Spirit of the Mountain. And we would stay after the games, home games to watch them march cuz they were so good. And I remember <laughs> I remember one time this the symbol these guys were like an award-winning band and the symbol dudes like Bang! He hits that thing just like a half a second off, you know. And the band kids can appreciate this. Well, it just was like, you know, just kind of like reverberated. And I thought, yep, that's me. Put me in marching band. I'm that guy. I just did that, you know. They're not going to give me a scholarship for this. And what he's saying is, if you if you know a bunch of stuff, or you're really spiritual, or you're a good church goer, you're good. Like. You got a lot of friends, you're popular, you're smart, you make money, what, like all those things. But you don't have love in the depths of your soul that you can give to others. It's true love, okay? Love that says, I want to I love other people, I want to give to other people, I want to help and serve other people. If you don't have that, then all the good things in your life, you can be very accomplished in all these other areas. And you're just like, wow, is that obnoxious? It's obnoxious. He's like, that's what you sound like when you're like opening your mouth and talking or when you're worshiping Jesus or when you're showing up at church or when you're like, it's just obnoxious. If you don't have love, like true love, you're like that. So, so that's like a good teaching that says, man, I need to understand what, what true love looks like and then how to live it out and how to, how to express it. Okay. So. Then he says, if, uh, if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So he's like, okay, you know, you can do this and this and this. You give away your body to be burned. What in the world is he talking about? Like a, literally you could die for the gospel. You could die a Christian martyr's death. But if you don't love people well, well, what was it profit? What does it matter? For those around you, for those that that you interact with on a daily basis. And then he says this, and this is going to get into the meat of the message, verse 4. Love is. Love is. And we're going to see now the definition of what true biblical love is. And here's what I want you to think about as we navigate through this passage. Have you ever seen true love? As, As we define it and lay it out, have you ever seen true love? Have you ever seen examples of true love? Have you ever experienced true love? And here's what I want to encourage you with. if, As we work through this, if you go, no, I've never seen love that is this pure. Then here, here's what you do. You look to Jesus because his love is this pure. His love for you is this pure. And you are the recipient of the love of Jesus. You have received the purest love that anyone could ever give you. Ladies, no dude at your high school is going to love you like this. None of us are going to get this right. Men, no lady is ever going to love you like this. No husband is going to get this perfectly right. No wife is going to get this perfectly right. Love is. And what follows is an example and a picture from literally the experience of who Jesus is. That we can learn what love is. But nobody's going to get it right every time. But we have something to look to and strive for. And what I want you to do this morning is. Open up your heart to receive this kind of love from Jesus so that you won't open up your heart and your body to receive fake, false, worldly, quote-unquote, love from other people. But you guard your heart just for the love that Jesus has for you. So when he says love is, he's implying that love does. That means he's kind of saying, okay, love is, which means lo- love is, and I'm going to define it, but we need to understand that it's an it's an action. Love is action. If I... If I wrote a love note to Little, and, I'm, and then I fold it up put it in my pocket and carry it around the rest of my days. Love is, but love has not taken action and gone to her. You see that? It, so love is, re, like like for love to be fulfilled, it, it needs to be acted on. So I need to, here's, here's the love that I expressed to you, and I'm going to act on that love. I'm going to express it and then act on it. So I'm going to show you. Okay, so so love is... Love is, is not only a feeling or an emotion, it is an action and a life alteration. When you experience true love and when you love someone truly, it changes your life. It changes your life, but you know what else changes your life? When you experience fake or false love and you give yourself away to somebody who doesn't love you like this, that'll change your life. That'll bring regret, it'll bring consequences, it'll bring pain, it'll bring hardship. Every time you, listen, every time you give a part of your heart away to somebody, every time you give a part of yourself away to somebody, you can't really take that back per se. So what you have to do is turn to Jesus and let him fill that wound or that void. But you can't get back what you give away. And so... It's not just a feeling or emotion. It is an action and a life alteration. My life is altered. My actions follow when I truly love and when I'm truly being loved. So he's going to describe what love is. And the first thing he says is that it is patient. I've written down definitions for these words, which is a big deal for me because I was really bad in school. I took the time, y'all, to write down definitions. Take this serious. (laughs) If you, only a few of you really know me, but that's a big deal, okay? All right, patient. Love is patient. My little boy Mo, who's four, he says a couple of things that he's picked up from older people, and it's really funny. One of them, he says, uh, Daddy, we have a problem. And that problem could be that we're out of Oreos or, you know, that the, the, the remote control's not working on the Netflix cartoon or whatever. But one of the things that I heard him say the other day is he said, You have to be patient with me. And I was like, Boy, now, he's right. He's really right. I don't know how he knows that. Somebody must have told him. Okay, so what is patience? It is, uh, to, it, here's what it means. To be forbearing in respect to someone's offenses toward me. So patience in the context of biblical love, when we really study this out and see what was, it, what was really being at, written at this time, what was he writing at this time? someone's offenses towards me, to be forbearing. Now, this is important because I want you to think about a relationship that you've been in or a relationship that you've seen. Maybe it was your mom and your dad. Maybe it was your mom and a stepdad or a boyfriend. Maybe it was your dad and a girlfriend, whatever. Maybe it was your friends around you. But we've all seen relationships where people are not forbearing towards one another. They, They take offense towards the person that they're in a committed relationship with and so they fuss, they argue, they're unhappy, they complain, they bicker. Have you ever seen that? So love is patient and doesn't do that. Love does not do that. I am not I am not going to argue with my wife. I'm not interested in yelling at my wife. It's stupid. It's just stupid. Like it makes no sense for me to be mad and fuss and yell. But I watch people in relationship all the time. I watch ladies who don't have any more respect for themselves than to date a dude who talks down to them, belittles them, demeans them, emotionally abuses them, uses their body, wants to touch their body, wants to take their clothes off, wants to get physical pleasure out of the deal. And he doesn't not only does he not love you, he hates you. Don't give your body to someone who has contempt and hatred for you. There's no patience. Love is patient, and it waits for God's best in a person's life. It waits for God's best. It demonstrates a willingness to take someone's unpleasant character traits in stride and to exhibit enduring patience. I'm like, I love that part of the definition, because a willingness to take someone's unpleasant character traits in stride. My wife is patient because I have a lot of... <laughs> Unpleasant character traits. Like I'm not a real gifted dude, man. I'm like pretty simple. I don't. I do not think I would be very easy to live with. So I'm like, okay, I know what this. I know what patience looks like. This way, little treats me. It's really nice. So then I was like, after I wrote this, I was like, little, I want to tell you, thank you. You married an absolute idiot, and you've been really nice to me for 25 years. She makes me bacon and eggs every morning. It's fantastic. She's awesome. She plays the drums. She looks good. She's still got a nasty crossover dribble on the basketball court. It's really cool. This demonstrates a willingness to take someone's unpleasant character traits and strides. So, so patience, a loving uh, relationship where people are patient with each other. I'm taking this person's failures and weaknesses and faults and character flaws, and I'm not saying, this is getting on my nerves. You need to change. I'm not doing that. I'm saying, yeah, the Holy Spirit, the Lord will change them. So I'm with the person. So I'm going to be in a relationship with the, So listen, listen, you're not to be in a relationship with an unbeliever. You, if you're doing that, you need to knock that garbage off and quit lying to yourself saying, well, I'm going to show him Jesus. You know what? Jesus is big enough to show that dude himself some other way. He don't need a 14, 16, 18-year-old girl to show some boy who Jesus is. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. He's cute. He doesn't love Jesus. We can make this work. I'll win him over. You will not win. You won't win jack over. Jesus is big enough to get the message out without you Corrupting his understanding of what relationship is supposed to be. So, so don't go there. Like, if that's where you're at right now, you've been lied to, and you've lied to yourself. There, I said it. Okay. So, like, I don't know how else. Like, I'm not going to tiptoe through that subject matter. When I talk to young people who are dating unbelievers, my, my, my uh, counsel, what do you think about this? They always want to come in and, and get counsel. Like, what do you think? I'm in this, I'm like, knock it off, break it off, stop it, go to your youth pastor. He'll do it for you. If you don't have the courage, ladies, if you don't have the courage to do it, go say to your pastor, or youth pastor, well, you go break up with him for me. Let me tell you something. I'll be like, game on. I'll call that boy up. I'll be like, you come to my house. I ain't coming to your house. All right, I want to talk to your daddy. I'm coming to your house. You can't talk to my daddy. You can, I can talk to any grown man I want to. You stay away from that girl. You need somebody to step in and do that for you. And so don't date unbelievers, okay? So love is patient. Why is love patient? Because love is waiting on Jesus to work out those character flaws in that person. You're in a relationship that looks like this. You're waiting. You're you're loving this person, understanding that they're not perfect, but I'm going to be patient with them, forbearing, waiting on Jesus to work in their lives to make them more like Jesus. We've learned about that this week, young people. That's called sanctification. I'm going to love this person as Jesus sanctifies them. I'm going to be patient with them because they're not perfect right now. Second thing. That's just the first one. Ain't nobody got to drive far this morning. This is going to be awesome. I promise. I'll go fast. Kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. Kindness is a fruit of the spirit mentioned in Galatians 5. Fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I think I got those. Maybe I got them wrong. But anyway, it's a fruit of the spirit. So we've been talking about the Holy Spirit is in you. One of the things the Holy Spirit will display through you is kindness. And that kindness will be towards the, the person or the people that you love. And it's so refreshing to be around a kind person. There's a guy here, um, that, there's a guy that works here. His name's Jimmy Wobble. He's awesome, but his wife is awesomer. <laughs> Amen, snowbird fellas and ladies. <laughs> She's the sweetest, kindest human being I've ever met in my life. If you like, if you, you can just, I know if somebody was to ever come to me and say, her name's Caitlin and everybody on here calls her cat. If somebody came up to me and said, I'm so mad at cat. I'd be like, you get away from me. Something is wrong with you. You are out of line. I don't have to hear the story. I don't need to know what's going on. You are broken inside. You need Jesus. Cause she's so good, man. She said, and she's, if you've been to pure and holy retreats in the past, she has spoken from this stage to the girls. And she's just incredible. So to be around a kind person, I don't come from a family of kind people. I come from a family of Highlanders and Vikings, you know, like where it's a long line of people cutting each other's heads off. And so like my family, like the way they deal with conflict is I've seen my dad, my dad's been dead and gone for years. But as a kid, I watched my dad and an, and two different uncles at two different times. Fist fight to the bloody almost death in the front yard at family cookouts. That's my family. So <laughs> kindness was not like a character trait we had. So to be around kind people is awesome. But for some of us, kindness is not a natural thing. We're naturally disposed. Like your disposition is to be grumpy and to be combative and to be ugly. So so true love is kind. And again, all like the, the, the perfect example in all of these is Jesus. So now if I'm in a relationship that is truly loving, There's going to be kindness and patience that are extended towards one another. Kindness and patience. You know what's not kind? You know what's not patient? When when one person puts sexual pressure on the other person and says, if you love me, you will do this thing. You know what? You know what he's saying? He's not saying, if you love me, you'll do this. He's saying, I hate you, so do this. Because that is absolute hatred if he put you in that situation, if she put you in that situation. So love it's patient and kind. It is not jealous. This is important. You think, how is a person jealous towards the person they're with? Well, it, this is, uh, you know, again, this, this, this is not just talking about love between a man and a woman. This is, could be love between friends, brothers and sisters in the church. The bottom line is, I'm going to want what's good and right and best for this person. And when good comes to this person, I'm going to be happy for this person. I'm going to rejoice for this person. Uh, I was an athlete, but I was just marginally decent. And so I thought, man, I need to marry somebody that that can really, you know, sweeten the gene pool here. (laughs) So the Lord, you know, I was so thankful the Lord led me to Little. And some of of y'all, I think she told some of the story yesterday. I was pretty nuts. I was crazy. So now I'm so not crazy. I'm totally sane. And uh, but I remember like uh, and people think I'm crazy for the way I, I pursued Little. She's crazy. She said yes. Like I got a marriage ring, right? A wedding ring right here to prove it. You know. And I remember saying to her on about our third week when of, of relationship. Now, now keep in mind, for about seven months, I I didn't pursue her, and I but I wanted to, and I was like waiting. Okay. So then I pursued, so then this thing starts. And about the third week, I was like, "Let's legitimately get married." And she's like, "Okay." And I was like, I, "I'll go talk to your dad." She's like, "Okay." And so this is funny. I say, and I remember saying out loud to her, if we get married and breed and have children, our offspring will be animals. And I knew she was the one for me when she said, yeah, I think that's great. (laughs) And I remember going to her parents' house and her dad, the first time I met her daddy, he opens the door up. He's six, five, about 300 pounds. He's a mountain of a man. That's if you're wondering, that's about two inches taller than me and about a hundred. he weighed 320, so a hundred pounds more than me. A hundred pounds, like one full human larger than me. <laughs> he he equaled like me and another human, okay? And I remember, he, but he's like the jolliest, happiest, it's the best. A lot of you know him. It's a big kahuna. A lot of you know that guy. He's just like one of the most enjoyable people I was ever around, I've ever been around in my life. I remember he opens the door and I go in, and I'm like, yeah, I want to. I want to, I want to, I mean, I want to like date your daughter. I want to marry her. i w want, I want to do everything right, though. I want to do this right, you know? And, and I remember he literally, he's like, you'll do. <laughs> I thought God has brought, he has aligned the planets here. We have the same values, you know? <laughs> so... So there are these characteristics that like you that appeal to you and that you're like, you know, like I want somebody that's tall. I want somebody that's that's dark skinned. I want somebody that's fair skinned. You know, I like people of Latin American descent. I like people that are black. I like people that are white. I'm more drawn to, you know, this color, that hair color, this eye color. look. None of that matters. Just you look for somebody that loves Jesus and then none of that will really matter. It won't matter at all. It just won't matter. And you know what? You'll want what's best for that person. And I remember, as a marginal athlete, being married to a woman who was a far superior athlete than me, and they were inducting her into the Liberty University Sports Hall of Fame and retiring her jersey. And we were married for years at that point and had a couple of kids. And we go back to that ceremony, and they march us out. on. The, if you've ever been to that campus, it's called the Vine Center, their basketball arena, and where we both had played. And we walk out in the middle of the half court, and I wasn't going, my jersey because the reality is i knew that there was no snowballs chance in hell that, that was ever going to happen you know like it, was, it wasn't like oh i wonder, I wonder if maybe tonight they're going to go surprise we got a little something for you <laughs> like i knew that was not going to happen you know it wasn't and so i remember sitting there and seeing her standing out there and being so excited and overwhelmed and realizing like something clicked in my mind that night where i realized when you love somebody, you want the best for them and you rejoice at their good things, you know, and that's what real love is like. It's not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. Nobody likes to be around somebody that brags all the time. So annoying. That's just, I'm, let's see, I, I thought about this and I was like, how do I unpack does not brag is not arrogant, and then I thought, oh no, we all know exactly what that means. <laughs> like like love, if I love this person truly and I really care about this person, I'm not going to be boastful and obnoxious and speak over them here's how it fleshes out in a relationship is I, one person is kind of always speaking over the other person, but just listening more than you speak, like a true biblical relationship, specifically a dating or courtship. Relationship that's headed in the right direction or a marriage that's honoring the Lord. I'm going to spend more time listening to this person than I am speaking over them. Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. I see girls endure garbage from other girls, from boys that treat them poorly, and I think, why does anybody want to be with that guy? Why would she stay with him? Why would he stay with her? She's unpleasant. She's grumpy and unhappy, and makes it known. What is, like, like some of you are in relationships where you're like you don't have, you don't you're not married. Like I'm, this thing right here is symbolic. What's that symbolic of? It's symbolic of it, like it's a covenant that I am in with little. There is no escaping. You're like, well, it's a terrible way to say it. <laughs> Well, you better get, you just need to understand it. You're like, you're trapped. And that can be a really good thing or it can be a really bad thing. And we live in a, in a world where people are really good at quitting at relationships. And here's my theory. Listen, this is deep, but it's as deep as I ever get. I'm convinced that one of the reasons so, and I'm not saying anything ugly or, or condemning or judgmental about anyone that's gone through a divorce. My family is more people in my family have been divorced and had marriages that last. Okay. But I'm saying, I believe we've established a culture in a society where divorce is so prevalent that young people, if you're not careful, what you'll do is you'll create a relationship cycle where you date somebody, break up with them, date somebody else, break up with them, date somebody else, break up with them. And you build in your mind sort of this mechanism for when the relationship is no longer practical or convenient, I'll just get out and you carry that mindset into marriage. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're just practicing for quitting. When the, the when the right relationship comes along, quitting ain't an option, man. That doesn't mean that sometimes marriages don't end and there's nothing uh, we we're talking last night about a good a, a good godly dude whose wife has left him and she has divorced him and there's nothing he can do about it. We're counseling a, a young lady right now through a divorce through our church. And it, like it's going to ha- sometimes it happens, but I'm saying Dating should not prepare you for that type of relationship. Like your single years should prepare you to understand what biblical marriage looks like. I want to key on this word resentful. It's not irritable or resentful. Some translators translate this this way. Does not keep a record of wrongs. This is a beautiful idea. Imagine a marriage in which no record of wrongs is kept. This is the idea behind covering one another's shame and guilt. When Adam and Eve are in the garden and they sin and God comes to them, if you remember this, they blame each other. They start casting blame. One of the things that is so important in a relationship is understanding how to take responsibility when things are not just like they ought to be. But what people tend to do is in an unloving way, cast blame on the other person. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's not my fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's not my fault. I can't help it. She's broken. I can't help it. He's crazy. I can't help. Listen, one of the things people will do is they will keep a record of wrongs and they will constantly put that in front of that other person. Go into a relationship knowing that true love does not Gather up a collection of wrongdoing and hold it against that person. Pretty, pretty powerful thought. And that's the way Jesus loves us. And Jesus also loves us. The, the Bible says in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, which if you come to SWO 17, I know some of you are coming, some of you are not. On Wednesday morning at SWO 17, we'll do like the next part of this talk, which if you don't come, it'll be podcast we're going to go to Ephesians 5 and see how Jesus loves. And here's how Jesus loves his bride. Here's how Jesus loves those he came to save and enter into relationship with. He sanctifies us by the washing of his word. There's that word sanctify. He says, I want the word of God to change you every day. Look at that person that I love and I say, I want you to love Jesus more than you love me. I want the word of God to change you every day. I want Jesus to be the big deal in your life. And then he can put me in wherever he wants to. That's what true love looks like. Love believes all things, which means it trusts God to do great miracles in this person. Love hopes all things. We've talked about hope, haven't we? We have hope as believers. And love endures all things. If we see anything lacking in relationships today, it's the ability to endure. People quit with such ease. Driving down the road last week, coming through Atlanta, uh, two weeks ago, me and Zach, we're in, crazy traffic jam there have been a wreck if you've ever driven through atlanta atlanta traffic's nuts we're driving and there's this billboard right there and it says easy three hundred dollar divorce like right like right by the chick-fil-a sign and the Sam and daves you know it's like oh like, consumer mentality like making it easy to quit love endures all things people quit with such ease and it is so easy But the word endure here means tenacity and perseverance in any and all circumstances. It's a strong and powerful word. And I want you to hear me this morning. My mother has been divorced, and I love my mother dearly. Two of my sisters have been divorced, and I love them dearly. Three. Three of my sisters. How many sisters do I have? It's bad, I know. I have five. Five. And my mom, six women in our family. Half of them have been divorced. Do not hear me stand here and say, "Ah, I'm divorced, Lord. It breaks my heart. I've watched the pain that it causes them, and sometimes it is unavoidable. What I'm saying is, you have to have a mind that is set on Christ and the way he commits relationship to people. Because he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, and he will never fail us. He won't. So in conclusion, he says this, now abide, faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. If I'm ever going to be a good husband, I need to love Jesus well. I need to receive the love Jesus has for me. He's shown me perfect love in the way he went to the cross and died in my place. If I can really know the gospel and all of its power and beauty, and if I can receive it as one who is loved, then I will value that kind of love and want to give it away. And that kind of love will only be handed out to one person. People who bounce from relationship to relationship will only cheapen what love is and what love can be. But to love Jesus well and be loved by Jesus and let him lead me into true and genuine love, that will satisfy. Let Jesus lead you into a relationship. And, and go ahead and determine that if it's in any way in your power, you're going to do this one time. And people go off all the time like, man, you're saying people, you well, you guys say you shouldn't date. No, 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 no. Like, don't listen, like, hear this rightly. Just shoot for one relationship that will last the course of your life, and you will not be sorry, I'm telling you. Never once in my life have I thought, man, I dated a bunch of girls, but I wish I'd have dated more, and I wish I'd have, definitely wish I'd have waited a little bit before I got married a little and just would have had a bunch of more girlfriends. And more importantly, I wish she would have dated a lot more people. Before she met me, that'd be way better if she had like other dudes to compare me to. I'm sure that would enrich our relationship. Nobody says that. But you know what a lot of people wish? They wish they had preserved their heart and guarded their lives and waited for that one relationship that was going to last a lifetime. It's worth waiting for. It's worth fighting for. It's worth getting right. Okay, let's pray, and we'll close with a a couple songs. Lord, these students are awesome, and you sent them here because you wanted them to hear truth from your word, and I pray that we have been faithful in delivering that truth. It is a it's an intense thing to try to declare biblical truth on the authority of your word and, and and to not do it with with strong opinions or personal conviction, but to just handle the Word of God rightly and divide it. I pray that's been done this morning. I pray these students are are stronger because of it. I pray that these leaders have something to build on when they go back home and and unpack what this weekend has been help these students to be the men and women you want them to be help us to love you with the pure love and and believe and trust that god is enough that jesus is enough that your love is enough and uh, and we'll praise you and thank you for all that you've done in our lives in jesus name amen